0: Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. This is Aditi. And i And you're listening to
1: Bitches Brew. A podcast where we chat about everything under the sun.
0: Today we talk about embarrassing health problems and pleasure and sex as a form of self-care. We
1: have two amazing guests to answer some very pertinent questions, as well as stories we've received from our listeners about their experiences. So let's get into it. Hi, everyone. We've got Apurupa with us who I've only met once before, but I feel this strong affinity towards her and her like energy is one of the most pleasant, hmm. pleasant is a weird word, but like the most magnetic, attractive thing I've come across in a very long time. Uh, she also does really interesting work. She's a sex educator and she's a mental health first aider. She's been doing a series of sort of lives and you know important conversations around mental health, around wellness, around around self-pleasure and that's partly the reason why we have her on this episode so hi Apurapa, thanks for joining us
2: hi hi no i actually like the word pleasant because uh i've been accused of having by the patriarchy of having a resting bitch face so i mean when somebody calls me pleasant it makes me happy so thank you so much uh you really flattered me there uh, i'm i'm at the core uh i'm Of myself, I'm just really an insecure little person, queer woman who really suffers from imposter syndrome, right? So thank you so much. It was nice to hear that introduction.
1: I mean, maybe this is a bit of a generalization. I'm not qualified to say this, but the more authentically you come into your work, I think Mm. the harder the backlash is around you, which, you know, can make you doubt yourself a little bit. Um, And I think all of us struggle with that time and again True. Uh, true. can I do an episode plug (laughs) (laughs) because we had one episode where we were discussing free work where this was a very recurring theme but kind of just coming back to the focus of this episode why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you arrived here and why is this important to you Hmm, sure sure
2: it's been an interesting journey for me as well because I used to be a corporate lawyer Uh, And I I studied law, I did my master's, I did that for like six years of my life. Um, And I I did work kind of in the space of gender and sexuality on the side always, but never fully like I'm doing now, because I I never knew that this was an option. I never knew that I could, A, that it was acceptable, and B, that I could make any money off it. Uh, Yeah, I I think it actually took, I, I mean, trigger warning, I'll talk about like my mom's breast cancer, but... Yeah so it, it actually took for my um, mom to fall really sick and for me to then kind of reevaluate my life's decisions right and to and to really ask myself what is it that I want to do with my life so in, in my head it's it's like a very natural transition from like what I've always wanted to do to me just coming into my own as as a woman and as a feminist and as a sex positive person as a queer person um and it, it was just a very natural transition for me but like when I talk about my journey to people like it's quite it's quite the dichotomy like you used to be a corporate lawyer and now this is what you do with your life Uh, how does that work right but in my head it was a very smooth
1: transition tell us a little bit about what is the work that you do so
2: um i mean initially i started off working with adolescents basically young people uh, also like younger as well right so basically young people between the ages of six and eighteen and their parents and educators to kind of talk to them about like puberty, to talk to them about um, sexual changes that they may be going through, masturbation, porn, um, the sexual act, sexting, um, what is the right age to get intimate, their rights, et cetera. But um, I mean, once I put myself out there as a sex educator, the kind of questions that I just started receiving via email or like random friends and acquaintances from the past would text me. And um, yeah, they'd ask me like, very personal and intimate questions and I mean you you call me magnetic so maybe I, I do have that very safe personality uh, and people feel very comfortable sharing their, their their stories with me essentially right and and I felt that I, I could offer something in return uh, whether it's by way of uh, one-on-one sessions which is of course very different from therapy it is it's one-on-one sex ed because not everybody is comfortable engaging in these conversations in a public forum. Um, or whether it's the workshops uh, that I do, so just to create more spaces to have like open conversations on sex and sexuality and sexual health. Um, also, like my other interest is mental health because I, like, like I was saying, I'm someone who lives with uh, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I also take medication for it, um, and and yeah, I, I whole lot of issues on that front. Yeah. Um, so so I think like what helped me. A lot as well was was psychoeducation, which is essentially learning more about mental health, or maybe the specific mental health uh, illness that your mental health illness that you are afflicted with, and and I found that to be extremely healing and empowering. Um, so so I try to be uh, informed about mental health, and I bring that into my practice as a as a sexuality educator as well because. Yeah, yeah, because neither your mental health nor your sexual health is operating in a silo. They're both so interconnected.
1: Exactly, exactly. In fact, then the first part of this episode, we sort of, uh, you know, sexual health and sexual wellness with a gynecologist. And I know for a while you and I have had our brush with chronic sexual health problems or like reproductive health, which have, which then naturally affect your body, affect your relationship. There's a lot to navigate there. It isn't as simple as popping antibiotics, you know. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about self-pleasure, you know, still very much foreign concept to a majority of the population, right? So, uh, why? firstly, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think there's still so much shame attached to the activity? And to a large end, the fact that women are fashioned to be the recipients of desire, how do you even begin to dispel that kind of narrative? No, I
2: hear you, and and it's it's very systemic, which I which I'm sure you agree with as well. Um, I mean, female sexuality has been penalized for so long and controlled for so long. I mean, that part. Um, just a conversation around pleasure in general, right? In in, in my um, workshops and sessions, we kind of begin with talking about non-erotic pleasure practices, which could look like anything. It could look like lighting a candle. It could look like, I don't know, uh, pulling hair, a strand of hair out of your butthole, because that happens, right? Um, so whatever, whatever gives you pleasure and like really expanding the definition of pleasure, because we're made to feel really guilty for, being pleasure practitioners in that sense, like whatever that word means to us and however that looks like in our life. Uh, Not all of us have uh, the privacy of our own room or washroom to maybe masturbate. Not all of us have uh, the time to maybe able to do that. Not all of us have the knowledge to be able to do that. But like all of us have the ability to experience pleasure of different kinds. And I think... Uh, that's like a good place to start and that's how um, I always begin conversations on pleasure as well to to kind of make people realize that they're already practicing pleasure whether or not they're aware of it and how do they build on that and and it's very much a skill it's 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 a skill that we're not taught as well and we're I mean there's no incentive for us to practice that skill either so so I I think we, we need to first A, like start building that skill of like being able to experience pleasure, being able to talk about pleasure, uh, being able to incorporate activities in our day-to-day life, which give us pleasure, right? And actively experience that pleasure. And of course, like there is the element of uh, erotic pleasures as well. And I mean, if, if somebody is not comfortable with like what masturbation looks like in a very heteronormative sense of, um, I don't know, rubbing or stroking or touching or, or whatever, like whatever uh, masturbation is supposed to be, um, they needn't go all the way there. Like the, your, your entire body can be one big pulsating erogenous zone if if you like use it the right way. So um, maybe like what they could also do is to feel other parts of their body and connect with other parts of their body. And yes, yes, this is something that they can do, do on their own, but I, I would definitely recommend... Uh, either accessing like there are plenty of resources available online um, or or to reach out to a professional. I mean, you would reach out to a professional if you if you wanted to learn woodwork. Right. Wow. No pun intended. But I mean, reach out to reach out to a professional if you want to learn more about uh, sexual pleasure or like access resources that are available uh, to learn more about about pleasure and and then to start practicing it as well, and and like there are there, there are no rights and wrongs there. Like as long as you're not actively harming yourself and you're not jeopardizing your life, it's it's okay to like sucking your own toe as well. It's fine.
1: And sort of uh, pivoting a little bit to work, where does pleasure intersect with communication and consent? Yeah, uh,
2: I mean again, like I really feel like when you talk about. Uh, Any kind of partner activity I would really like first begin with like self right Um, and I also look at uh, the concepts or or just like the practices of consent and and communication with respect to yourself as well Um, and and this is an activity that I usually do with like people of all ages which is making something called a yes no and maybe list Um, so it's very simple, and like I mean, yeah, it's really, really simple. What you need to do is um, identify, like maybe different spheres from your life, whether it's I know your personal life, maybe your professional life. I don't know maybe TV shows that you watch, uh, maybe vegetables that you eat, fruits that you eat, and and you look at uh, what is a yes for you in in that aspect, what is a no for you, and and what could be a maybe for you. And, and you'd be surprised at, at how few people have actually engaged with themselves like that, have actually thought that they need to have a conversation with themselves about something. They need to first figure out whether it's a yes for them or a no for them before they're able to ask somebody else or give that to somebody else. I feel like a lot of communication and, and boundary work and, and consent setting uh, needs to also happen with this with yourself. And, and in situations where you're violating your own boundaries, to maybe then introspect and see why is that happening. Yeah. Um, and again, like it, it is a skill. Like all, all of these are skills. These are things that you need to build. You need to actively work on. And um, and yeah, I, I mean, no, no one can deny that consent and communication are like the cornerstones of of any kinds of any kind of relationship. Um, but but I but I would always say like begin with yourself. And then, uh, you know, start doing that kind of work with people who are soft targets in that sense. I mean, I, I use the word very loosely, of course. But I mean, people who will essentially respect when you set a boundary, right? Or people who will ask you for consent when you tell them that they need to ask you each time they say something or do something.
1: Okay. yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It actually... When you were talking about this, I sort of started thinking a little bit about two things. One is porn and one is mindful pleasure. A huge part of my personal sex education, totally because I'm come, i a product of the Indian education system, has been porn, has been the internet. In experiences with other women, especially when we were younger, right? Like when we were like just whatever young teenagers just getting in getting out there, having our first experience ever, so on and so forth. And looking back, there are such glaring, you know, gray areas, which I find myself like questioning now. I'm like, wait, was that consensual? Was that a little or you know, it's obviously like we didn't have that education when we were 17. So I wanted to know a little bit about how you think porn, I mean firstly India is one of the largest consumers of porn in the world. Right. right? with combined with a serious lack of actual sexual education how do you think porn affects or shapes people's mentality when it comes to sex sexualizing women both
2: i mean a like i don't feel like porn is the worst thing to happen um i am i mean i personally love porn watch porn um but it the kind of porn that you watch is what matters, right? And uh, there is a lot of ethical porn available there. There are feminist porn filmmakers. Um, I mean, the, there's there's a lot of interesting porn, not not just in terms of like videos, but also like uh, erotic audios and you know, uh, erotic literature that is available out there, which which can be a lot of fun, which can be a great way for people to experiment with their sexuality, uh, live a fantasy, and and basically like just see what else is out there right beyond like maybe the four positions that they know so i i don't feel like it's the worst thing to happen um and in a in a country where there is like serious lack of of conversation around these topics um how are young people supposed to learn like you very rightly said so um i, I feel like pawn is not bad per se and and i mean most industries are exploitative um, and and pawn industry is notorious for that so i'm i'm not in any way uh, like condoning that but I'm, I'm what i'm trying to say is it it is an alternative and it's a very real alternative so so let's make our peace with that you you can ban it but we'll find a way to break the firewall and access whatever videos or audio that we want to right i, I feel like the conversations are kind of the solution to it, if, if somebody were to maybe listen to this podcast and, and hear other people like echoing their sentiments or being candid about topics like this, sharing their personal experiences. I think that's a that's a great space. Um, maybe sessions. I mean, I, I very strongly believe in like age wise, grade wise sessions, like from very early on. Um, which is of course, incremental learning. But also, like peers, like I remember some of my best conversations about sex has have been with my my girlfriends, right? and and I also know that, like we were trying to learn together. We were trying to figure out what all of this meant to us and where we uh, how our politics kind of interplayed with uh, what the society was, not to say that I mean the kind of uh, unethical form that is available there, so to say, um, that's okay, obviously not. But I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like banning porn is not going to serve anybody. And, and the, other, the other piece that you brought up about like consent and um, you know how m- maybe porn also influences people to take, to not take consent so seriously. Um, again, like consent cannot just happen in sexual situations. If we are a culture where uh, social consent, we're not so big on social consent. It's not going to translate into other aspects of our life. Like we don't think twice before like ruffling a baby's hair, right? Like we wouldn't ask a parent, we wouldn't check. We wouldn't ask the child if that's okay. We we force our affection on on little children when when they're clearly uncomfortable. Uh, we screenshot chats and we we share it with people. We, um, you know, click pictures and tag people and don't necessarily check with them if they're comfortable with it or not. Like consent has to permeate all aspects of our life and it has to begin in
1: social situations first and foremost. I think what I wanted to know a little bit more about is like mindful pleasure. A lot of the things we said about consuming porn is also essentially mindfully consuming content, right? Where you actually check yourself if something is ready with you which uh, about it could be so subjective right so consume something that's been shot under circumstances which were coercive so it's just hard to sort of differentiate between what like what actually went into making it so just to understand a little bit about mindful pleasure because i know a lot of people personally who routinely indulge in masturbation and they leave some Whereas some have a strange kind of shame attached to it, saying, you know, wherein the such that they're just like, you know, I just feel like I have subtle high libido and I can't put that on my partner constantly. So I just masturbate twice a day and then I feel terrible about it. Um so if somebody is trying to sort of tackle this within them, what what could you say some of what what are some of the things they could possibly think about? What are the, you know, if they're not professional no
2: absolutely um, you're very right in saying that a lot of people like for some people yeah maybe it's just one of the things that they do um it, it's just like a part of their routine and they don't necessarily uh, invest in it too much they don't think about it too much it's kind of it's it's uh, they go through the motions right uh and for, for, for other people it is uh, something that is very ridden with shame and guilt and um I, I've even heard like somebody say that they feel like they're cheating on their partner when they're masturbating and yeah all, all of that all of that exists um and all, all those feelings are, are are very valid as well like it's easy for me to sit here and say hey like don't feel that way but I mean it's very valid that they're feeling the way they're feeling um but I mean I think m- when you talk about uh mindful pleasure I think that's kind of like incomplete because it's not just mindful there is it and and I was recently introduced to the term bodyful and I think that resonates with me more in the context of pleasure because you're not just it's it's, you're not just using your mind you're also connecting with your body um so so masturbation is not a purely cerebral act It, it could be right it a part of it is um, but it also has to do so much with with your body and connecting with your body, and uh, and that's not something that we are very used to as well. Um, often, like our body becomes about its aesthetics, and uh, you, you know, from, from a body neutral perspective, we're not necessarily viewing our body as a as a vessel that serves us um, as maybe another thing that we need to build a relationship with. Um, so so. I feel like if somebody is is keen to maybe start building a better relationship with their body and to start experiencing maybe a little bit more, I mean, a little less shame while they're engaging in self-pleasure, um, I, I feel like, again, like baby steps, like really, um, there's no rush. It's going to take some time If it, if it's taken, I mean, so many years of like socialization, right, and indoctrination into this brahmanicals his head patriarchy that it's it's going to be tough to like challenge all of those norms and unlearn so much and unpack so much that we've internalized um so so i feel like yeah baby steps start small if it is easier for you and it often is by the way to do it with another person um you know start exploring your body differently with another person that's also fine if you're not fully there to start exploring self-pleasure, that's absolutely okay. Uh, start like engaging uh, with other people a little bit more authentically. Um, and it, it needn't be the entire act. Like if, if you are with another person and if you're going to do it, if you're going to be with them for like X number of hours or minutes, then maybe like 1% of that, you can be authentically, authentically you. And then you can keep adding uh, to that as you go along. And the other thing that, uh, also, do is to like engage with their senses. So, um, I mean, often like masturbation uh, or, or like self pleasure, for that matter, just like boils down to you know using one organ or a toy or whatever to kind of just stimulate one part and 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 to leave it at that, right? But maybe like the next time you're masturbating, if you could. Uh, hear the sounds around you a little bit more or, or like if you're watching pornography or if you're listening to something then to maybe pay a little bit more attention to what you're hearing um maybe to add another sense like maybe to add a candle or maybe to um you know add an essential oil um and, and to engage with your smell like that as well or or to like smell your own you know bodily fluids or smell your armpit even but to engage other senses and that can also be like a very grounding experience while you're, while you're engaging in self-pleasure. So yeah, so that, that would be a good place to start. Do not get overwhelmed. You don't have to get it right the first time or the hundredth time. It is a process and it is, it is your journey. Like you don't have to, again, like capitalism, right? Like we, we feel like we need to be good at everything we do, um, but you really don't. And the fact that you're trying and thinking about it is, is wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that sums up a lot, actually, <laughs> like follow-up Um. So I guess what I wanted to understand a little bit, and this is more out of curiosity, is when you are sort of teaching younger children about sexuality and about exploring, what is the response like? And I'm only asking because I feel like as adults, we have a lot more, like way more guards up than perhaps a child would yeah yeah no
2: but um i mean you'd be surprised at how quickly young people also internalize these messages um i mean a lot of kids right love touching their genitals um especially like kids with male bodies will hold on to their penis as like an act of like comfort um and uh the reaction of adults is to immediately sexualize that act of, of a child touching, like their body hasn't even started producing sex hormones, but like babies, right? Like three years, four, four year olds um, being sexualized because of something like this. Um, When it's, it's a very natural curiosity, a very healthy curiosity that they're experiencing about their bodies. Um, And, and I mean, it, very quickly they will internalize those kinds of messages and and the shame um and and and, and they also like it, it's not just about what adults are saying it's a, they're also modeling behavior um which which is very slut shamey which is very uh you know body shaming which is very um yeah yeah which which is not very pleasure positive which is not very sex positive so so even young people kind of have internalized a lot of these messages and they subscribe to a lot of myths. Um, Like they feel like they'll uh, go blind. I mean, why is that, that's so ableist in the first place, but also like they will go blind if they masturbate or uh, hair will grow on their palm or they will run out of sperms. And like adults have said these things to them as well. So um, it's not that they're super open about it, but I think the difference between let's say, an adult that i'm working with and a and a child or a young person that i'm working with would be that uh the young person is a little bit more easy to convert <laughs> um and 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 they kind of like because they're also like looking up to you as as a facilitator or as a, as a trainer who's who's come and who's talking about this topic that's otherwise never been spoken to spoken to them about so there's also like a certain sense of like trust and safety that they experience which is why they are a little easier to convert, but it's it's really disheartening uh, to, to hear some of the things that they're worried about. They're, they're worried about like 13 year olds and 14 year olds are worried about like erectile dysfunction. And they say things like, uh, do I need to start using Viagra? Um, and 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 their parents are like obviously wearing blinders and their parents are like, obviously my kid is like such a Harish Chandra and my kid does not. Uh, yeah, he's so innocent. Like everybody around him is corrupted. So, um, yeah, adults are not actually, the parents and educators are not aware of the reality of, of the youth of today. Yeah.
0: I wanted to bring up this thing about children exploring sexuality without really knowing what it is that they're exploring. Um, because when I was, like, I started very, very young and I didn't know what led to it, right? It, I kind of stumbled into it. And... Uh, started sort of experimenting with my own body at a very young age. I'm talking like eight years old, young. And uh, then when I was discovered, there was so much sort of shame put on me, like it got to the extent where people thought that I had been abused and that is where I learned this behavior from, right? And it was. It's quite toxic and it's quite um, difficult because then you grow up with thinking that there is something fundamentally wrong with you because you're a sexual being, right? Not just that sex is wrong, but that you are wrong because you discovered pleasure and that is wrong. So, how do you tackle something like that when it comes to kids who like stumble into this behavior, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a separate conversation with parents, but then how do you explain to this child that what you're doing isn't wrong without like things up with their parents
2: right right no uh i'm so sorry that happened to you and um i think we've all kind of experienced the shame and shaming when it comes to like exploring our own bodies and like feeling at home in our own bodies so i'm I'm really sorry that that happened to you um yeah and, and you're right in also saying that that is a very common occurrence so let me let me break down like puberty a little bit um for, for our audience, right? So um, puberty can start, you know, anywhere, nine, nine years upwards. Uh, of course, for like people who've been assigned male at birth, it starts slightly later. But I mean, before the body starts to show any outward symptoms, uh, any outward signs of puberty, it begins in internally about a year before that right so it takes like one whole year of changes happening on the inside sex hormones being starting sex hormones being produced uh, sexual feelings starting to develop and then do you and that is when you start to see uh, these signs on the outside you know whether it's hair growth or height growth or breast development etc right um so it's very normal for like eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds to be curious about their body, to explore their body, uh, to to spend a lot of time with uh, the, the hand shower, to want to like look at pictures, to want to look at bodies which are not theirs, right? And the, and the first thing that uh, a lot of children, especially now that they have access to internet, uh, the first thing that they'll start to, they'll look up is like naked girls or naked boys because they're very curious about what naked bodies which are not theirs look like. All of this curiosity, all these emotions are very, very healthy. Um, They're a natural part of growing up. What we want to kind of protect them from is the very aggressive kind of pornography. We also want to kind of i mean protect is the wrong word again we want to enable them to make decisions which um will help themselves help them safeguard themselves from like very violent kind of pornography or um you know abuse like they, uh, we we want to equip them to be able to recognize and report abuse and um, yeah we also want to uh, help them understand the concepts of like hygiene and privacy and boundaries. Uh, it, it's okay if you are exploring your own body, but you mustn't in you know um, do it on anybody else. You mustn't let anybody else do it on you. So, so we need to kind of safeguard them to explore themselves um, in, in, a, in a healthy manner in that sense so um the way i would approach it with children like from, from very early on like from age six is when you start talking to them about boundaries you start talking to them um about you know privacy you also at that point kind of introduce them to uh, the idea that hey uh, like you need to do things that like you, you need to look at practices that i mean obviously those aren't the words that you use with them but you need to look at what makes you happy uh, let's figure out like what is one uh, thing one thing that you can do every day uh, that'll make you happy or that'll make you feel good and like you will obviously use these very binary kind of understanding of happy unhappy bad good with them because i mean you want to build on that you want to that's the base that you're setting and uh, by age 9 10 you're kind of ready to talk to them about, if, of course, if they're asking, then definitely sexual act, etc. but you're ready to talk to them about puberty. You're ready to tell them that, hey, here are uh, like the different changes that you will experience. You may experience like vaginal discharge, you may experience erections. Uh, these are all the parts of your genitals. I mean, when they're slightly older, by, by 12, 13, you're, you definitely have to talk to them about masturbation. You definitely have to tell them, um, the pros and cons you have to tell them how many times can they do it a day because that's one of the most frequently asked questions and I mean, few times a day is also healthy right it varies from person to person so I mean you you have to um and and it's so irresponsible and violent and toxic that adults do not have these conversations and actively deprive young people of information that could potentially save their lives um yeah yeah
0: I mean, it's a bit of a segue, but I wanted to talk a little bit about slut-shaming and particularly of young women, you know, young women who might be more sort of sexually proactive or whatever. You know, like, I know that in lot of my personal relationships and uh, not necessarily with friends, but more with, like, the men in my life, I have dealt with a lot of slut-shaming. And as I grew up, like I had fairly progressive parents in that sense that they did give me a fair amount of sexual awareness and, you know, made me aware of um, sexual health and things like that. Um, but blood shaming sort of started from a very young age where if you're somebody who's okay with like talking about sex or you're okay with talking about even things like kissing, you're, you're seen as somebody who's disgusting and that kind of follows you through your life. So I wanted to chat a little bit about how do you tackle that in, you know, say personal relationships, um, you simply cut off from that person or is there a way for you to educate people? I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this question, but
2: no, and it's very valid. It's such a valid question. And like, yeah, I have been slut shamed my whole life, even more so now, When people know that this is what I do for a living, Uh, I'm I'm shameless, I'm disgusting, I'm corrupting people, all of that. Um, Great. Yeah, please hate me. Uh, But um, yeah, slut-shaming is very real. It begins very early on, like you said. Um, I I remember this, this person in my school being shamed for not wearing a bra. Uh, like they were not very really developed at that point of time so they chose to like wear one of those vests and like they were sh- they um I, it, it's a it's it's a tough situation to be in especially like when it, it's somebody who's who's close to you um let's say they're a friend or they're a partner or they're a family member who's who's slut shaming uh some relationships like kind of are there in your life like I my parents for instance like they they don't really know my life fully, so like they think like I'm a good girl, um, good girl, quote unquote, right? Um, but uh, like everybody else, like everything that they see around them, like they will they will slut shame. So my parents are not somebody I can or I don't want to like personally get rid of my parents, right? Uh, so um, I mean I think like I I have tried to have conversations with them. Um, I've tried to like deconstruct like where this notion comes from um but like I mean it, it's it takes a lot of patience and persistence uh to get through to the other person and if somebody wants to make a choice of like cutting off from somebody and I've done that too like I've fully ghosted like a few friends because um I know their judgment on certain things and just like very homophobic, very toxic friends. And I've, I've just been like, yeah, okay, fine. You know what? I, I, I'm i not, I can't do this with you. I, I don't have it in me to put that kind of effort with you. So I'm not going to even bother. Um, and, and there have been friends who I have like maybe had a few conversations with and they've kind of understood where I was coming from and and respected my point of view. But um, I feel like both are very valid choices if you if you want to like fully cut off from a person because you feel like your values don't align and they're never going to understand where you're coming from because they live in a completely different universe then yeah it's it's okay to cut off from them and uh, finding other spaces and other communities which affirm you and which affirm your identity and uh, i mean personally i've i have reclaimed the term i'm i'm and proud and uh, yeah yeah and and that comes from like, surprisingly, a lot of Black feminists uh, initially, right? Like, when I saw them owning their bodies and owning their sexuality, um, it, it gave me the strength to to reclaim that term. Uh, so, so, yeah, yeah. How do you deal with it? It was
0: difficult for me, I think, because it tied in so much to my self-worth. And for the longest time, mm-hmm. I then even had trouble being sexual or... Being myself as a sexual being because I thought of it as even though like my education has been the opposite of that like I've always been told to like like by the people close to me um I've always been told that it was okay to sort of um have ownership over your body and have ownership over your sexuality in moderation um what I've been told but despite that when say like when a partner did slut-shame me, it was so debilitating in so many ways. So it was really, really, really difficult to recover from that. Um It took a long time, I think, to recover from that because the impact of something like that, because it's not just that you're a sexual person, right? It's just, it ties into every aspect of you, the way your body is, the way you think, the way you do things, the kind of work that you do, everything, you know? And then you start all of your actions, you even start questioning what people in your building are thinking um, so it, it has very far-reaching implications um, and I really want to sort of bring that up on this particular episode because especially since we're talking about pleasure as a form of self-care uh, we've touched upon the taboo that surrounds pleasure but because there's such a negative connotation you can be the most free-thinking person on the planet but when it hits you, it can be incredibly debilitating.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, even in my case, like I am definitely somebody who really embodies and believes in everything that I'm saying, but um, it took for like one comment uh, that somebody posted on my Instagram about, uh, yeah, I don't know, very slut-shamey comment, right? Uh, for me to completely unravel and feel like is that really true? Is this all a farce? Am I actually, um, yeah, just a nymphomaniac, just trying to uh, find an excuse for the emotions that I'm experiencing? So, so yeah, so I both can exist. Like you can both be empowered, and you can also continue to suffer at the at the hands of like these very real, systemic, uh, deep rooted issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: it's interesting because hey, even when you're having these conversations, for example, with like casual sex partners, like where like the idea of respect mm. comes in. Like I, like I know that off late, mm. like very recently, I have started having the sex conversation quite early. If That's where I'm, headed. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this and let's get it out there and let's be open about heading. If I know that that person is, you know kind of on the same page um and that's something that i really want to normalize like i want to see more sexual content out there i want to see more affirmation of sex out there you know and i don't see that as corrupting our children or anything i think it's a great thing if people are having open honest conversations about sex especially when it comes to self-preservation especially when it comes to and enjoying your bodies and being able to have respectful conversations around sex yeah
2: for me it's it's really that it's really like not having had access to information Uh, it's having uh, internalized so many of these very like I mean again negative is is a very binary understanding of what it is but um, yeah negative messaging around like my body my sexuality my identity uh, my being um, and and for me, too, part of my journey of healing, part of my uh, journey of like taking ownership of my body, like you like you rightly said, came from creating those spaces for for other people and having conversations with other people and creating communities of care. And uh, yeah, yeah, to what I did not have, I I wanted to create, and I wanted other people to have that as well I think it makes me sound like (laughs) yeah yeah it's it it is very self serving that's where I'm coming from
0: I have so many things to ask and add but I don't know how to sort of funnel them because I've dealt I mean female sexuality has always been such an enigma to me because on one hand you want to reclaim it and you want to celebrate it and you want to be do what you want with your body, but on the other hand, you're just dealing with so much shame, and you know, female sexuality sort of ties into every aspect of your life. And you know, for the longest time, I was made to think that even if I accept my body, even if my parents do, even if my partner does, society at large is going to constantly minimize me, they make me feel like you know, I was worthless because I was somebody who was okay with being sexual. And so I, I really want to put it out there that it is okay to be sexual, in whatever regard, as long as there's two consenting consenting adults involved. Like,
2: yeah, go for it, go have fun.
0: Don't let people take advantage of you. You know, like yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, like um, a like communication is a really huge part of uh, any kind of like sexual health and wellness. Uh, session or conversation or whatever like the minute you talk about sexuality like communication is also like a big part of it and I actually actively give people like sit with people and help them figure out scripts as to how they uh, want to have that conversation with somebody else and I mean mean, I'll I'll share some of the things that I I tell my clients Um, it is to like a like keep the language as as natural as it feels for you um, it's absolutely okay if you want to say sorry, thank you, please, a million times, it's fine. It's okay if you want to say, I'm so sorry this happened or I'm so sorry I'm not able to say this, that's absolutely okay. If you want to have the first conversation via text, that's that's okay. If you want to do it via email the first time around, please do that. Uh, if you want to write them a letter, do that, right? And and also like don't feel the pressure to have the entire conversation about whatever it is, Um like I had somebody who was trying to figure how to discuss um, the fact that they live with vaginismus with their partner, right? So, um, and and like, again, what I told them was, you don't have to like tell your partner everything. You don't have to talk about your diagnosis on day one. Um, you can like maybe just st- start talking a little bit about the discomfort or the pain that you experience. It's okay. Like you can withdraw from the conversation at any point. If you are like, which is why understanding consent, um in the context of self is important if you understand that another person can withdraw consent at any time understand that you can also withdraw consent to have that conversation at any time right so um yeah so so take it slow um have that conversation at your own pace figure out the setting where do you want to have the conversation um have something that's comforting around you with you whether it is a pillow whether it's like a friend's hand um whatever it is, it's fine. You're allowed to, like this idea of, oh, you have to say it face to face and you have to like look them in the eye and this has to be like a momentous occasion, That it's probably not how it's going to work out. So so it's absolutely okay for you to um, have a few false starts and then like try it out again at a at a later point of time to write it to them, to send them a video to explain what it is um, to them. So, so yeah, and, and also like, it's it's fine if you know um, you you don't want to do it right now. Like you, I mean, it's not fine. But if if you've just had uh, gotten an STI diagnosis and you don't quite know how to convey that to your partner, like sometimes you you really and you really have to because it's time and you know urgency and your partner also needs to go themselves checked or um you know they they also need to go themselves uh, go get themselves treated so i mean find another way to tell it to them and ask a friend to do it for you uh, it, it is a very difficult conversation and uh, especially in our context it is very challenging so uh, mix it up um, you know enlist the help of a professional to have that conversation with your partner whatever it takes um for you to for you to feel comfortable yeah
1: no but it's it's funny right because i think at least for me i interpret it as anything but that i mean i think it's one of the most if not the most vital conversation to be had um and that's just my own bent of mind but i do think it intersects a lot with all kind of identity and so much of self perception and self worth which then can lead to so many other problems that um yeah particularly even yeah i mean clearly for women yeah but also i would kind of include men in the gambit as well you know because with the whole hyper masculine uh you know r- trying to achieve a sort of very like media idea of masculinity is like harmful for everyone especially men right like women.
2: no 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 i i completely hear you and the and the kind of conversations that you both have been having otherwise as well um it, it's no, we're just a very small slice of the society, um, especially like in the Indian context that is kind of challenging these norms. Um, and, and also like, I mean, medical professionals are, I mean, that is not a question this gynecologist um, at all, right? It, she's, she's not wrong at all in what she said. Um, scientifically sure, it may be true. But I mean, also look at it this way. Who are the people who are writing these textbooks? Uh, who are the people who are teaching in these colleges, right? Where, like, who are the people who are dominating um, the, these larger systems of like medicine or science or research? Um, it's either like your cisette male, it's your cishet uh, your cishet savarna male or cishet white male, right? Old people, um, and and definitely not people who are queer affirmative in that sense. So if 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 the norm for so long has been that like one of the primary purposes of a vagina is the sexual is the penetrative sexual act with a penis right um then i mean that's that's if that's the line of inquiry then that's kind of what you're going to uh, be focusing on but even without like the sexual the, the penetrative sexual intercourse with a penis part of it uh, you're vagina is meant also for pleasure right your vagina is meant sure like yes the other purposes are the menstrual blood comes out of it it's also like the birth canal etc but your vagina or your front hole um is is also just there for for your pleasure to serve you right so um i mean sure one of its primary purposes we can then say is is pleasure whether it's of penetrative kind if that's what you know floats your boat yeah sure uh, go for it um if if uh, you know if it's if it's more to do with like focusing on the clitoris and like some some external like practices of pleasure sure uh, if that's not something that you want to do with your vagina at all that's also absolutely okay like if i don't want to for instance one of one of the primary purposes of my hand is picking up things if i don't want to pick up things right at all. I, I, do, I don't pick up things with my hand. Um, that's not going to make my hand any less of a hand. It's not going to reduce its functionality. My hand is not meant only for picking up things. i uh, sure I have opposable thumbs for those reasons but um, yeah that's not all that there is to it and uh, yeah it's not just a sexual organ it is also a sexual organ.
1: So yeah I mean for me like thank you so much. For doing the work,
0: it is really inspiring because we need it, right? Especially in a country like yeah, now that we're heading in a more sort of conservative direction, modern quote unquote modern woman. I feel I feel so vulnerable because I'm like, am I going to be allowed to be myself in the near future? Like, is that what we're heading?
1: We've got something interesting for you in collaboration with Oyster Whip, a New Delhi-based journal merch shop, creative incubator. Follow us on at Brew India on IG to know more. We hope you tune in to our next episode where we talk about mothers. Where we invite entries from you, our listeners, to share your stories about your relationship with your mothers. What have they taught you? What do you teach them? What do you guys fight about? What do you bond over? The works.
0: Until then, reach out to us at write to us, bbrew at gmail.com or at Brew India on Instagram with your thoughts about sexual health and wellness.
1: And just anything really that you'd want us to chat about don't forget to like leave a comment and share